You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing all right. Just spending a nice rainy afternoon here at home. Yeah. Pouring down rain. Mm-hmm. You know what they say, we need the moisture. They do say that. I wish th- I kind of wish they wouldn't, but they say it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we need this rain. Now, That's what they say. You brought to my attention today a a legitimately dope college football promo from our beloved Montana Grizzlies. Yeah. Now, this is the kind of shit that MMA people could learn from because they don't just content themselves with making a like a an anal- like a animal sports analogy. They know where they're the grizzlies, the same way fighters love to talk about how they're lions and everybody else's sheep. Occasionally they're also wolves and everybody else's sheep. But the Montana Grizzlies football team, they went with like the David Attenborough voiceover of an actual grizzly emerging from the den. There's shots of an actual grizzly walking around out there in the snow. Then they get on their full football gear cleats and everything and walk around in you know about like ankle deep maybe lower calf deep snow that's commitment to the bit right there yeah because you know their feet got freezing doing that shit you know as maybe the only mma slash fcs level football podcast on the internet Mm -hmm. it's our duty to to inform the people what's been going on since uh you know last fall there was no football season so this spring the big sky conference has opted to play like sort of an abbreviated season uh with with teams that could sort of voluntarily take part but the montana schools and a bunch of other schools actually in the big sky conference all sort of opted out and they are not taking part in that uh spring season so as a result the university of montana has scheduled two uh i guess you would call them exhibition games in the spring one of them being april the 10th against i believe central washington and then another one on April 17th against uh, the hated Portland State Vikings. And so they're going to play these two kind of like disconnected exhibition games that aren't really part of a, of an, a larger season or, or anything like that. But, uh, but everyone here in Missoula, I think, is going to be pumped for football, regardless of if it means we're you know chasing down a conference championship or trying to make the playoffs or, or just out here trying to stomp Central Washington's guts out for no reason. So they put out this promo this week now do you think that they just shot this thing because you would have to go pretty high up to find that much snow at the moment uh, you could do or you go to ben askren's place you go to ben askren's place and film it there could be a lot of snow there i just wondered if they'd been sitting on this thing since the fall or winter when maybe they thought there was going to be a season and then there wasn't well when they didn't have a season maybe they had lots of time to get out there and shoot some promo videos all i'm saying is look if you're an MMA fighter out there and you want to tell us about how you're a lion and everybody else is sheep, you know what? Get out there on the savannah, bro. 
go get some footage of you walking around in the grasslands and uh, set it to some some narration from like our planet or something. Show us you mean business. Don't just talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We had a flurry of fight bookings this past week, Ben. UFC put out a bunch of fight announcements, including a, a more complete card for UFC 264 on July 10th, where Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor are now confirmed to do it again, brother, in the trilogy in the main event. We're also going to get Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz on that card, which we talked about a little bit on Friday's Power Hour. Gilbert Burns versus the Wonder Man, Stephen Thompson on there you got your fight night on june 19th where the korean zombie is going to fight dan ige you got the june 26th fight night where cyril gone is going to fight alexander volkov uh but i say all of this as uh, nothing but but pretense sir to the fight booking that i know interests you the most and that is ufc 263 june the 12th your guy damian maya going to be taking on the disgruntled the disappointed the, the hot under the collar Bilal Muhammad, who's going to be out here looking for a little revenge after things did not go the way he wanted them to against uh, Leon Edwards. You know, I don't like it when two of my guys fight, Chad. I don't like it because it just feels like I lose either way. Yeah. Emotionally, it's hard on me. Yeah. No, you know, I know. You know, Demon Maya has been my guy from way back. That's why we're doing this check-in right now, man, because I could tell you're, you're conflicted. I was like, my man is hurting right now. I can mm-hmm. see it in his voice. He's trying to act strong. He's trying to to do the show for all the little co-maniacs, but I can see the strain and the worry in his face. Yeah. Aging him prematurely. Whoa, wait, hold on. What, what are you trying to say? The the lines of concern forming around your eyes see, and on your is, forehead. This is taking a different direction that I don't, the I posture frankly don't care stooped. for. stooped. So here we, here we are, checking in, man. I, I want to know how you're going to handle it. I just hope everybody fights hard, nobody gets hurt, and we come away better friends for it. You know? Wow. You went football coach cliche. <laughs> when confronted with Damian Maia versus Bilal Muhammad, you dipped into the bag of tricks. Good thing it's appro- appropriate now that we started out the show talking about college football because you're over here talking like Steve Spurrier or some bullshit. Well, get out there, take it one play at a time. Good nope. Lord willing. Matriculate the ball down the field. I'll say this. If there are two guys out there who can go get themselves in a damn cage fight and emerge from it afterwards as the best of friends, these might be the two guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Medeemi Maia has been known to welcome past opponents to his jujitsu clinics just so he, he can teach them some of the tricks he used to beat them. That's the kind of guy he is. So yeah, I don't think it's out of the question. Here's an interesting one. This one uh, took many of us by surprise on Friday night. Bellator 259, Ben, on May 21st. Bellator women's featherweight title fight. Chris Cyborg against Leslie Smith. This is an interesting fight booking for Bellator, don't you think? It is. I, I mean, I guess I see what you're thinking. When you got Chris Cyborg, you got to have somebody go in there fight Chris Cyborg. They had that one fight. Leslie Smith felt like she didn't get to do all the stuff she wanted to do in that one. You got Leslie Smith, people know and like her. You throw them in there together. And I don't know. My first thought was, I like Leslie Smith, and so I'm a little worried for her. The same way you'd be if anybody whose you know, well-being you cared about was going to go in there and fight Chris Cyborg. Hope yeah, for the best. 
a lot of strain weighing on you. Yes, it's not easy, all, man. All corners this week. They fought at UFC 198 back in 2016. First round TKO victory, obviously, for Chris Cyborg. Now you get the rematch some years later. I mean, we know how Scott Coker handled things the first time around with Chris Cyborg. And, and while she already has that victory over Leslie Smith, Leslie Smith, at least in theory, is the kind of fire who could, fighter who could give Cyborg at least a run. You know, this isn't Jan Cuddles Finney out here going to do the damn thing about Chris Cyborg against Chris Cyborg. At How least dare they're trying you? to. Uh, How dare you? At least they're trying to give her some matchups here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, honestly, I'm sure we'll end up talking more about Bellator's return and everything, but you go out there, you're giving everybody a free look at what the Bellator on Showtime product is going to be, that is the time to go ahead and announce your Chris Cyborg fight booking. You know, yeah. why you've got our attention. Remember, while we have your attention, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Because Ben Folks and I are over there with three additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, you can check out Wednesday's live chat where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the CME. And then on Friday, of course, we got the Power Hour, an additional hour of curated MMA talk that features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon, Power Hour, Power Rankings, True Titans of the Game. And uh, it frightens us a little bit mm-hmm. when we have to unbridle the power rankings and, yeah. and let them let them run because it's not a guarantee that we're ever going to be able to get them back under control. No, and, you know, certainly not. Not least, we got the uh, we got the movie club, which comes out every Thursday for the well-rounded fight fan. This week, we're getting started with Spy Movie Month. We're going to be watching a bunch of spy movies. Ben, tell the kids about the matchup that we got up. Uh, for a vote right now over at patreon.com the kids get to decide the movie that we watch this week yeah officially we've got a little less than 24 hours left to go in this poll but it it looks like we can go ahead and call it now because the man from uncle is at 63 percent of the vote company business which i still feel underrated 1991 spy cold war era spy thriller Starring Gene Hackman and fucking Mikhail Baryshnikov. The, as somebody pointed out accurately, I believe in the, in the comments here, the only ballerina that anybody over the age of 35 can name is Mikhail Baryshnikov. But that one's languishing at 37%. Looks like we're going to be watching this 2015 film version of The Man from Uncle. So if there are fans of the 90s out there or fans of Gene Hackman or fans of Mikhail Baryshnikov, maybe join the team over at patreon.com slash co-main events. If you can tip the scales in the direction of uh, of this other movie there, not just let the man from uncle run away with it. Don't forget, you can also run out and buy your CME logo T-shirts right now over at CottonBureau.com. We got those for sale. We got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes T-shirts and we got Dundasso T-shirts all for sale. Those are always available on demand all the time, whenever you want them. Go over to CottonBureau.com and drape those old bones in some CME merchandise. We got music this week from our guy Ross Jarborg, longtime listener to the Co-Main Event Podcast. If you like what you hear from him, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash 
S-T-H-L-M Ross. I believe that's short for Stockholm Ross. Again, soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-R-A-S. Three rounds as usual this week in the Coleman Event Podcast. In round number one is Bellator's Patricio Pitbull, the best featherweight in the world. And could he be, gasp, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet right now as well? will ponder and in round number two it's official dustin poirier and conor mcgregor will do the damn thing a third time in july where the real question may be will the right guy title be on the line and in round number three the ufc's second event on abc goes down saturday with the main event now featuring kevin holland versus marvin vittori but be honest we're all just tuning in to see those new venom shorts all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Kevin Schuler, who writes, Did y'all see the ESPN story about the fighter who lost a finger during an MMA fight? Mark Raimondi did a piece on it. 10 out of 10. Recommend. Uh, we talked about this on Friday's Power Hour, Ben, but good God, it probably bears mentioning over here on the proper as well. Because this motherfucker's finger came off in an MMA fight, yep. Ben, folks. Yep, came all the His way off. His finger. Finger mm-hmm. came all the way the fuck off. His hand. It came off. His finger came off. His hand. See, I feel like I didn't know something like this could happen. I mean, without the benefit of a pair of hedge clippers or a saw or anything, that just from sort of blunt enforced blunt force trauma that you're you're like a finger a digit anything could be just severed like not just like broken or bent back all weird but removed from your body and i feel like man that's a whole other thing for me to worry about now i didn't even know that i needed to be concerned until now your 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 finger apparently can just pop right off and and i thought if you were gonna if a finger was gonna come off a hand you needed the involvement of a guy named like Eddie Two Diamonds or something like that would come to your house and take care of that for you. Maybe if you owed his boss some money you hadn't paid back. In this instance, guy gets his finger broken on a high kick. Then during a grappling exchange a few minutes later, the skin tears or something and the finger pops off. And eventually they figure out it got lodged in his glove, but it took them a while to figure that out. Okay, see, that's, and so, I have questions about that part as well. And so while the finger was still MIA, I see this, that's not a thing you ever want to hear that you don't know where one of your fingers is yeah. at, but while the finger is MIA, they get the PA announcer again. And this is here. Some, this guy probably didn't reckon on doing when he came to work, put on his nice suit and came to work, uh, that he was going to have to do an announcement, essentially inviting people to get up and look underneath their seats for this guy's missing finger like it was a raffle giveaway or something like look underneath your seats and if there's a coupon under there everybody gets free donuts but nope we're out here looking for this guy's finger now i guess my main question is at what point did we get around to checking inside the glove because i there are only a few places it could go i understand you know everybody knows you, you drop something on the floor, and it's always amazing how far it can travel. You know, but also, if we looked around in the immediate vicinity of the mat, 
in inside the cage, maybe just outside the cage, and we didn't find the finger. How long until somebody was like, have we looked real good inside the glove, inside the hand wraps? Like, let's start closer to where we last saw the finger. Yeah. Yes, you know? a classic investigative investigative technique. Where was the last you, place you saw it? Well, it was on my hand. Okay, let's look right around there first. Yep, you establish a tight perimeter, mm -hmm. search everything inside it, and then begin to expand your search elsewhere. This is the same thing when my, my sons can't find their Legos. It's the same way. Now, the, obviously, these MMA gloves ain't big, right? You'd think, even though I assume the fighter himself has a good deal of adrenaline probably working... Once you realize the finger is not there, you're probably you probably enter into a state of shock. Mm -hmm. But maybe at some point he was like, "It feels like there's like a fish stick or something oh, inside why did you one of my MMA gloves." Stick. Come on, because you think you'd notice if there's a whole extra finger jammed in there, right? Like where it's not supposed to be. You'd think you would know. Feels like my finger is is back here inside my glove. Well, it's worth mentioning. We talked about this a little bit on Friday's Power Hour, but. One of the quotes in this Mark Raimondi story was the guy saying how he was mostly upset that the fight was stopped. Yeah. And that he looked down at one point and he could see his own bone sticking out of there, but also thought, I got this guy. Felt like he yeah, had him. Right where I wanted him. Yeah. Really? Like that's, it was step one of the plan was lose a finger. And step two was once the guy's tired and grossed out from what happened to your finger, then you pounce. But he was really disappointed that not being able to continue there, which I'll say it again, man. Everybody who wants to talk about how they're built different, how they're about that life. Remember when Kevin Holland was talking, like he was throwing shade at Kamzat Shemaya for, for basically getting COVID-19 and actually being sick with it. And he was like, yeah. oh, I got it. I was fine. I'm built different to the point where Joe Rogan had to ask him, don't you think it's just like a virus though? Which it is. It's not up to you to think about whether it is or, or it isn't. It is a virus. But he was like, no, I'm built different. No, don't say you're about that life if you're not about that life. No, this guy is about that life. Because once you have looked down in mid-fight and went, oh, seem to be missing a significant portion of one of my fingers, but I think the other guy's tiring out. So this is good for me. Once you go through that thought process, that whole calculation, I, I agree. You are built different. You are about that life. Potentially the most MMA response to anything that's ever occurred. <laughs> that and everybody get up. Make sure you're not sitting on the guy's finger. Check your drinks. Might have fallen in your Red Bull. Uh, okay. There we go. Oh, you said that's... fish stick in the glove. Yeah, Come on. Still finding the finger in your drink. That's... Oof. Next question this week comes to us from Just Matt. Okay. He writes, I'm not a labor organizer, just a man who feels deeply ambivalent about enjoying the spectacle of people beating each other up for less than they deserve. With Endeavor looking to buy the remaining 49% stake in the UFC and the UFC basically becoming the driver for Endeavor's entire business, is now the right time to exert a maximum pressure campaign to improve fighter pay, cough, labor stoppage, cough. Uh, so this has been confirmed now that this is a thing that that's going down, that Endeavor will become, we believe, the sole owner of the UFC, buying up the uh, that additional percentage that it did not own at first. And you know what? I mean, like, if you if you were going to pick a time to to go to the mattresses and try to have it out with with the parent company, this might be a good time. Since, as we talked about last week on one of one of our shows, you know, Endeavor's whole business pretty much shut down during the pandemic. 
wasn't a lot of Hollywood stuff happening while everyone was sick. And so uh, it really came to rely on the UFC to, you know, make make that money for itself and and, uh, its owners and shareholders and everybody else. And we theorized that maybe that had something to do with Endeavor wanting to take over sole ownership of this business that, as you said, I believe had proved itself to be somewhat pandemic proof. And so, you know, if if you are the fighters, not that this this seems like it's on the horizon or perhaps will ever happen at this point, but like, is this a good time, do you think, Ben Folks, to to try to do something about uh, fighter pay? I I mean, hypothetically, sure, but when you start to think about how it would actually happen, there is no real coordination going on between fighters. There's no, they're not even talking to each other really about any right. of this kind of stuff as far as we can tell. It seems like we had a few different collectivization pushes at various points and they all sort of fizzled pretty quickly. And now it seems like the best chance they have for any sort of collective action is going to be through the antitrust lawsuit that is still moving forward and yeah. still, and it looks better and better for the plaintiffs and yet also is just moving incredibly slowly. And yeah. so it's going to be a long time before that bears any fruit, if at all. But whenever I hear somebody talk about, oh, here's what the fighters should do altogether, like they're not even in a cooperative mood. From what we can tell or from what anything we hear. It's just one at a time speaking up when it concerns them. And then when they, if they get what they want or they get close enough to what they want, then they'll take it and they'll be quiet again. And, and that'll be the end of that particular flare up. And so if I'm Endeavor, that's probably the least of my concerns is that the fighters are going to see that this is a vulnerable time for us, that we can't afford a work stoppage and that we will cave to whatever they ask for because they are not even close to doing something as a group. And right. you, you can deal with the flare-ups one at a time as long as you have to. I mean, that's what the UFC has been doing for basically the entirety of its existence. And, and it never leads to any sort of like bigger collective push. It's everybody's just kind of thinking about themselves. Here's what I want rather than thinking about like, here's how we could all join together to get what we want. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, I know we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum as well, but it's frustrating to see like the John Jones, Francis and Ganu situation play out now where John Jones is definitely like kind of thinking out loud, it seems, on his Twitter account, trying to process all of his emotions, feelings, wants, and desires in and around this move up to heavyweight in a fight for the title. Uh, Francis Ngannou also wants to get paid a lot of money. Uh, the UFC is out here dropping more than hints, I guess, dropping signs that it is quote-unquote kicking the tires on a potential fight between Ngannou and Derek Lewis, uh, as if, you know, in kind of a heavy-handed way to signal that that the company itself is willing to move on without the Jones and Gano fight. And so it's, it's, it's like, if he, it's like, it's right there, man. It's like within, within our clutches that, uh, some of the big stars in this sport would realize that if they truly want to get what they deserve and want to get an equitable split, split of the revenue, they might want to work together. It's like right there in front of their faces right now, as we speak. And it just seems like almost a, stubborn determination to not go down that road because you know it must have crossed all their minds you know they must have some people that are willing to talk about it with them and it just seems like especially in john jones's case who was out here you know very aggressively online very public about all of this stuff at this point and just like it's almost it's almost conspicuous by its absence that that would be 
an option that unionization and collective bargaining would be an option that he would just never get around to mentioning in his copious tweet and delete tweet storms. Yeah. So like at this point I have nothing, I can't, uh, I can't answer it in any way except to say that like, he's like purposefully avoiding that topic. Well, you know, I remember working on a story a few years ago about various like unionizing efforts or like efforts to form a fighters association and, and, why various ones had failed and what was still ongoing and what still had a chance. And I remember somebody saying to me, and it was somebody who had a a background in labor organizing, and they said that whenever you're trying to get people to join together for some kind of union or or association like that, the most important thing is trust, is getting them to all trust together, that we're not going to stab each other in the back, that I'm not going to just completely bail out of this effort as soon as I get an offer for what I want, that we're all in this together. And when you think about, especially like the John Jones example, if he had mentioned on Twitter, hey, you know what, guys, this is bullshit, us having to do it this way. We don't we don't need to do that. We have the power if we're all together, and that's what we should do. If you're a fellow fighter out there, and you're somebody, like you're like number eight or nine ranked welterweight, middleweight, lightweight, whatever, you see this stuff from John Jones. Knowing what you know about John Jones and about how these things usually go with the UFC, do you go, yes, this man is right. I, oh, captain, my captain, I'm going to stand up on the desk for you, put my head down on the chopping block for you and say, let's do it, man. You got my support 100%. No, you're going to be like, man, he's saying this now. And as soon as they call him back and say, all right, we'll give you 12 million to fight Francis Ngannou, he is peacing out. You know, or whatever it is that he wants to fight Francis Ngato. He he is going to take that deal and get right back to work. And all, all this solidarity stuff is going to go out the window. And I think that's their big problem. That they all have gotten used to that being the, the normal orderly version of events. And I that's a tough thing, I think, for them to break out of. Especially because fighters, as we know, they have such a limited window for the most part. To be in the UFC, to be at the height of their powers, making their money... The, a lot of them just have this mentality that you can totally understand where they go, I don't want to make waves and cause trouble when I'm still trying to climb that ladder. I want to keep my head down, make some money, and get to the top. And then yeah. they tell themselves, once I'm at the top, that's when I'll have the power to speak out. And yet, it just never happens that way. Right. And yet, like when we were both with The Athletic last year uh, and we did the fighter survey, the topic of unionization, which was one of the you know questions that we asked all these fighters that we surveyed, uh, met with overwhelming support and acceptance. I want to say like 90%. I can't remember exactly what it was. Like 90, 95% support. You ask MMA fighters in kind of a general sense, do you think there should be a union to collectively bargain so MMA fighters can get a more equitable share of the revenue? They all say yes. Damn near every one of them said yes. And yet the reality of it is, like if it was ever going to happen, it would probably take somebody like John Jones you know, personal baggage aside, who is in a powerful enough situation within the company to take a stand and who at this point, like legitimately wouldn't give a fuck about what happened to his own career. And the fact that John Jones is publicly kind of staking out this position that he doesn't know if he'll ever fight again, if the UFC won't fork over the money to take that position and not like try to do something in terms of collective bargaining, which would again be his best chance to get what he wants, makes it all seem like posturing from the get-go. Like, yeah, we know when he gets his money, he would bail on it and and like go fight Francis Ngannou for $15 million or whatever it is. And the fact that he won't 
that he's not even bringing up that topic makes his threats to just walk away from the sport seem somewhat hollow, in my opinion. Because if he was serious about it, like, what would he have to lose, frankly? Um, Nearly 80%, 79.4% of the fighters which said... Lower than I remembered, but still significant. Only 6.5% of fighters said they would oppose such a move, while 14.1% said they were unsure or preferred not to answer. That's from a uh, story by the fellow, fellow named Chad Dundas. You can see that the particulars stuck in my stuck in my head like a steel trap. <clears throat> Next question this week comes to us from English uh, football player Mark Albrighton, who writes, So the UFC is really out here in 2021 reviving the ultimate fighter, huh? Do you think that moving... Uh, do you think that just moving the show onto a streaming service is enough to ref- refresh the straight, the stale product or is tough 29 doomed to fade into obscurity discourse? If you can, I think also, isn't there a bit of breaking news on this also that we're going to get uh Volkanovsky versus Ortega, I believe is the coaching tandem on this season of the ultimate fighter. Probably not the company's first choice, but the way that circumstances conspired to postpone that uh, fight, maybe set them up nicely to put those guys in the coaching roles but at this point, let's be honest, doesn't actually matter to most people who the tough coaches are. doesn't matter to most people if there's going to be another season of tough or not. I guess the fact that it's going to be on the, the plus, the streaming service, could cut both ways. I don't think there's going to be a real expectation that we're going to watch this thing. But at the same time, you know, maybe if it's just always there whenever we want and we're sitting around on a Thursday night board with nothing to do, maybe some people will give a spin to the ultimate fighter season 29. I am probably not one of those people, but like if the ultimate fighter is your jam and you are excited about it being back and you want to watch it, I say more power to you. But at this point it does nothing for me. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine a situation where if we get a few episodes in and people start telling me, all right, look, it's different this time. They've really messed up the, like they changed the format or it's just a fresher approach to it somehow. And it's not just like every single other season of the show. You got to take a look. Then I would give it a chance. I would, I would take a look. You're right that for the most part, I think when MMA fans hear these two people are going to be coaching the ultimate fighter, what they really hear is these two people will not fight for at least the next, you know, three to six months. And that's mostly what it means to us. And, and may not fight ever. Yes. <laughs> you may just doom them by putting them opposite each other in those coaching roles. And from the sound of it, it sounds like Alex Volkanovsky has really been sick with COVID. And yeah. so maybe this extra time is not the worst thing that could happen for, for him. But you're right that it just feels like my initial expectations when I hear you're reviving it, it's going to be on a different platform. But so what? It still feels like the UFC probably thinks we know exactly how to do this show and we, we are painting by numbers. We're going out there and we're just doing it exactly the way we always do it. And you're going to get a product that's very, very similar to the one you've always got. And so uh, if I hear otherwise, once the thing actually gets going, fine, I'll take a look. Otherwise uh, it'll just kind of be another one of those things where like, all right, let me know. And when we roll around to the finals, who are the yeah. people that I should pay attention? Because even then, I'll still be watching UFC Fight Night events now, and they're like, "This guy was the winner of Tough, you know, twenty one or something." And I go, "Oh shit, really? No, oh, okay. Like that seems kind of weird. That it doesn't feel like you guys are even treating him like a big deal now." But uh, all right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, when you mentioned that if someone started to tell you that it was substantively different, that you might check it out, I thought immediately in my mind brain, what 
possible refresh could the UFC give the Ultimate Fighter that would make it feel substantively different, knowing, as we do, that that company is absolutely loath to ever do anything differently once it has its formula for whatever that thing is locked in. It's just going to keep doing it until, you know, our grandchildren have passed on into the netherworld. How about if maybe this season, if you lose a fight, the you you have the option to get back in it by doing a you get to lip sync for your life like on RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? You you like two losers can can both put on uh, evening gowns and lip sync to share, and uh, the best one gets to re-enter the competition. See that? I'd watch. You got me. How about uh, you're in the house, mm-hmm. fifteen humans and one orangutan. <laughs> Okay, does does the orangutan know sign language? Yes. Basically, and I'm trying jiu-jitsu. to Okay. Is the orangutan susceptible to mind games? <laughs> I don't know. His mental game is pretty strong. Okay. All right. See, we have already improved this show a thousand percent, and that's just a spitballing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right, that's going to do it for listener mail. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, let's just take a lay of the land here briefly at Featherweight before we discuss the particulars of Patricio Pitbull Friere's victory in Bellator over the weekend. As we mentioned during the first segment of the show, Alexander Volkanovsky, the UFC's 145-pound champion and relatively newly crowned, it seems uh, to me, Recently had to withdraw from this scheduled title defense against Brian Ortega because of complications from COVID-19. He will now coach the ultimate fighter. So it seems that the UFC 145 pound crown will not be in action for some time. Meanwhile, over in Bellator, as I mentioned, the Pitbull just advanced uh, to the finals of the featherweight Grand Prix with his victory over Emmanuel Sanchez. First round guillotine choked him unconscious. He's sleeping all all the way out. And so advances into the finals of that tournament uh, opposite AJ McKee, which stands to be a big ass fight for Bellator. That's one that everyone should mark their calendars for. Even if you're not a normal Bellator watcher, you want to you want to check out Pitbull versus AJ McKee because that's that's going to be a good one. That's going to be some shit. As I said, during during the opening of the show, I will just pose the question to you. Is Patricio Pitbull Friere at the exact moment that we are recording this podcast, the best 145 pound men's fighter in the world? You know, to that, Chad, I would say a very clear and unambiguous maybe. 
Because doesn't it feel like there's no way to really know and we won't get to do the sort of things that would help us find out? Because we can play the game, and we are going to, where we try to use common opponents to sort of gauge the difference between Bellator competition and UFC competition. We did it with Pride. We've done it before with other organizations, Strike Force. We've done it before in other situations with Bellator. And here, everybody's going to look at what Michael Chandler does in the UFC since Pitbull went up to lightweight and knocked out Michael Chandler. And so we're then we're going to say, hey, if Michael Chandler wins the UFC lightweight belt, then ipso facto MMA math transitive property, Pitbull is basically the UFC lightweight champ. But if he's basically the UFC lightweight champ, then he could probably also be UFC featherweight champ. And we all know it doesn't really work like that. But we also know we're probably going to do it anyway. Because there's no way to get a real satisfying resolution to any of this. The way MMA contracts work just basically means that we will never be able to see a fight that might actually test the best guy in the UFC against the best guy in Bellator in a certain weight class until like eight years past its prime when they both yeah. end up uh, working for Cam Soda or something. <laughs> and that's just that, that's just kind of like the way it usually goes in this sport. And so I, it's, I know people will look at the fighters he's been facing in Bellator and be like, okay, those guys are in Bellator. So even if you look great beating those guys up, it's not the same as the competition that Alexander Volkanovsky has been facing over here in the UFC. But then it's also like, what else do you want Pitbull to do? Because yeah. he is going out there and looking damn good in yes. some of these fights recently. He just looks so confident and so composed and calm. And you you look at the guy and it's hard to find a whole lot of weaknesses that you feel like he could be attacked on. And I don't... If you, if you can look at it and be like, well, because these guys are not UFC fighters, it doesn't mean anything when he's taking them out in the first round and looking like he never has a bit of trouble with it at all, then you're basically saying there's nothing the guy could do to convince you that he's really good. Yeah. Well, and, and here are the particulars on, on this particular Pitbull brother. Seven wins in a row, hasn't lost since 2016 when he uh, lost to Benson Henderson, but via leg injury, TKO via leg injury in a lightweight fight. Previous to that, the man's uh, entire career losses are a split decision to Joe Warren back in 2010, a split decision to Pat Curran in 2013, and then a unanimous decision loss to Daniel Strauss in November of 2015, which he promptly turned around and avenged via guillotine choke in April of 2017. As you mentioned, that win over Michael Chandler from 2019. Oh, and by the way, uh, he is currently the Bellator champ champ with the lightweight and featherweight belts around his waist. I feel like it's actually pretty easy to at least make the case, not necessarily that everyone is going to be convinced that uh, Pitbull Friere is, in fact, the best 145-pound men's fighter on the planet and could probably compete with a lot of lightweights in the uh, UFC 155-pound division. That being said, if you're Bellator, don't you pretty much got to hang on to this guy for dear life. If this guy ever crosses the road to the UFC, he'll be dragging Scotty Cokes with him, clutching onto his ankles, 
just begging him to stay because like he's he's pretty much the best thing Bellator's got going at the moment. Well, and this Grand Prix so far has worked out as well as you could have possibly hoped if you're Bellator. Yeah. Ending yeah. up with Pitbull defending his title all the way through into the finals and against the best thing you have going in like a homegrown talent in AJ McKee also making it into the finals. That's the best possible situation you could end up with as the last fight for this. You just now you just got to hope it holds together and that you get a clear, unambiguous result without controversy out of it. Because right now, like it is, it is all playing out way better than MMA tournaments usually do, and you're gonna be feeling pretty thankful of that if you're if you're Bellator. But I mean, I. I remember when I was doing that story not too long ago, talking to the coaches about how they approach film study, and I asked a few of them, "Have you ever gone up against somebody where you're studying the film on the guy to get ready to get your guy ready to fight him, and while you're watching the film, looking for weaknesses and trying to come up with a game plan, you go, man, there really isn't a lot here for us. Like this is going to be tough.' And uh, a couple of them said that they'd felt that way looking at video of Pitbull. That just you you look at the guy and you go, this is going to be tough." Like, this is, this guy is really good and he just doesn't give you a whole lot of openings. And here too, I mean, the way he, he dropped Emmanuel Sanchez early on and they didn't freak out and jump on him, try to get the finish, but he gets that arm in guillotine choke. And you know when that is somebody's move because yeah. when he's doing really well on the feet, but he is also willing to put himself on his back in order to grab that choke, that means he knows when that choke is on. And to be able to choke somebody out, like unconscious, because he was not in that choke for that long before no. Pitbull looks over his shoulder and tells the ref, he's sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> like like Emmanuel Sanchez took an Ambien and was just immediately out. It's like me when I get those melatonin gummies in me, Chad. Yeah. And head hits the pillow. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you lost in the semis, brother. Read, read a page and a half of a book and then out. And yeah. – that's a guy who really knows, you know, knows that that is his move, knows that that exactly what he's got there and just looks so calm the entire time. And, uh, you know, it situations like that is when it bums me out that this is the way we do MMA, that we have these two guys who seem like they're both like right at the top of their games at 145 pounds. And yet it feels like, you know, you have got a better chance of convincing Canada to become the, the 51st state than you do of getting two guys in that situation to just to figure out all the moving parts and get them to actually fight each other. Like you just know that there's no hope of it. And that kind of depresses me every time we yeah. end up in one of these situations. Real quick, Bellator uh, made its debut over on Showtime, put the the event for free on a number of different streaming platforms, including the YouTubes, where it's still up if you want to go watch it, if you didn't happen to to catch it live. Uh, I liked the product, man. I thought that it was, you know, aside from some technical glitches early on, like pretty slick, Bellator looked good on Showtime. Uh, some changes afoot, Mauro Ronaldo in, Mike Goldberg out. Uh, I like the the kind of interchange they were doing with with the desk. Uh, I don't know, man. Like I, I have said long long ago on the show, every time that I that I make the time for Bellator, I feel like I should watch more Bellator, and that seems more true now than ever. That uh, you know they they've got some good fights lined up, and coming up next week, I guess uh, it's it's Bader versus Machida, right? Is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. The Bader versus Machida too. Don't you forget. Yeah the rematch what did you think of the bellator on showtime product 
You know what? It didn't seem like we're trying to reinvent the wheel or anything, but I like the way it looked. It, it, you know, I, I think you're better off with Moro Ronaldo as your play-by-play guy than Mike Goldberg by far. So I'm not going to complain about that change. You know, it's a production decision, according to Scott Coker, which I think is a really nice way of saying we got somebody better. Yeah, it's a production decision. That's pretty much what that means. If you call it a production decision. Well, and you did get somebody better. Or Ronaldo is better at that than Mike Goldberg is. So I, I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, I, I thought that uh, altogether you watch this show and it does seem like, oh, yeah, this is a reminder of what Bellator can give us. That Bellator, you know, we got a really great fighter and Pitbull Ferrer. We got uh, we're going to have a Gracie out there and a, a, a Nurmagul Medoff out there, but not, you know. Not like the the A-list guys necessarily, but like the B-list versions of those guys. Yeah. We're going to also have just some fights between the people I've never heard of before. And you know what? It's all going to be a pretty good Friday night MMA sort of time. That's yeah, a, it's not bad. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we will move on to round number two. Ben, did you see this video and the reports out this week? that former NFL offensive tackle Bruce Campbell was involved in a, a scrap down there at his local Walmart. Now, normally I eschew these street fight videos that become the memes that everyone jumps on. This one, though, I got to admit I was pretty into it because you got two real big dudes throwing down in the self-checkout of a Walmart. That's just that's going to appeal yeah. to my interests. Mm-hmm. However... The are you fucking kidding me part comes in once it is revealed after this thing has become a big internet sensation. Oh, BT dubs. That's not actually NFL offensive lineman Bruce Campbell. Okay. Just another really huge dude out there putting his scrap on at Walmart, which leads me to wonder, can you imagine being Bruce fucking Campbell, man? (laughs) Sitting at home, probably minding your own damn business. And all of a sudden... You're all over the internet getting just KTFO'd at a Walmart? Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Are you fucking kidding me? So you imagine a situation where it's like he is on his weekly Zoom call where he plays Risk with a bunch of friends from college. Yeah, no, with orphans. He's probably out here building homes for (laughs) Habitat for Humanity. Next thing you know, his friends start texting him, you okay, bro? How's your jaw? People are like, Bruce, come in here. You got to see this. And he's like... I've got armies in the Ukraine. I'm kind of busy right now. And they're like, oh, this, you're going to want to know what's going on here, man. They're talking about you on the internet. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> fucking it's not kidding actually me? him? Now, see, this, the dude in the Walmart video, Ben, you've heard about my, uh, my standing tips for when not to get in a fight. Yeah. Right? First, a dude, if a dude has, has crazy cauliflower mm-hmm, ear, don't mm-hmm. fight him. If a dude has uh, visible... USA wrestling tattoo. Don't fight him. If he has one or more Magomeds in his name, first or last, don't fight him. Don't fight him. If you are a six foot six, 300 pound man Mm -hmm. and a somewhat smaller dude at Walmart cannot fucking (laughs) wait to throw those hands with you. He knows something that you don't know. That's all I'm saying. If a guy has... More hair on his traps than on his head. Don't fight him. Just saying, he's he's got an ace up his sleeve. 
Or he's insane. That's why, I mean, that's the other, that's the other possibility, but still. Either way. Better than safe than you got to get your jaw wired shut. Yeah. You're just out there trying to buy a bunch of bananas and some frozen pizzas down at the Walmart. Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me. Chad, why are you fucking kidding me this week? I see a headline on MiddleEasy.com. I'm just going to read you the headline. It says, Tito Ortiz talks theoretical John Jones matchup. Quote, I would win by split decision. Now, see, I know as soon as I see the part of the headline, Tito Ortiz talks theoretical John Jones matchup. Is that part of me rubbing my hands together going, oh, here we go. Yeah. Yep. He's going to say something dumb. Yep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come out and it's going to be something that you're not expecting, but it's also going to reveal a level of either ignorance or just uh, overestimating of his own abilities. And there's going to be some little extra Tito twist to it. And then he predicts a victory for himself by split decision. Yeah. (laughs) So he's saying basically, I'll beat him, but it'll be close enough and one of the judges will screw it up. And he's basically saying, I might luck my way into a victory here. It's like... I. Is this his version of trying to keep it real with us? Like, hey, I, I won't believe... If I tell him I'll go out there and I will finish John Jones in the first round, they'll they'll know that I'm bullshitting. So let's... I'll be like, I'll beat him by decision. No. Split decision. It'll be close. You know, we'll be right there, neck and neck, going down to the scorecards. But I will ultimately prevail against the greatest light heavyweight in the history of the sport, who is still in his athletic prime, whereas I... Am uh, firmly middle-aged, the Huntington Beach Mayor Pro Tem, Tito Ortiz. This just tells me that Tito Ortiz has played this thing out in his mind a time or two, <laughs> right? Probably during a Huntington Beach City Council meeting where he's oh, yeah. got the feet up on the desk. They're talking about tax increment financing laws there in the city, local ordinances. And in Tito Ortiz's mind, he's inside the octagon with John Jones eking out a victory via split decision because one judge screwed it up. That's what's happening in Tito's mind. The hamster is running in the wheel, and that's what's going on. If people say, oh, Tito, bullshit, you're over the hill, whatever. Come to my camp. Come train with me. Come wrestle with me. Come do jujitsu with me. Watch my weight training. Watch my biking and stairs that I do. I push myself harder than I push myself through my whole career. I'm doing amazing. My mind is in the right place. My body is in the right place. Now I'm just trying to imagine a skeptic showing up and then after seeing Tito bike and do stairs goes, you know what? This guy can beat John Jones. John Jones. I mean, it'll it'll be close. Probably a split decision, but he's going to win. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, what are you doing, say, July 10th of this year? Got anything planned? 
I'm going to be sitting down in front of my television, white knuckling it, hoping the right guy wins, if that's what you're asking you're me. You're damn right you are, because it is official. Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, going to do it again, again, brother. Rubber match time. The trilogy fight that literally one person was asking for, and his name was Conor McGregor. It's going down July 10th. Both guys have signed now, so that's just sort of settled business. Everybody else yeah. in the lightweight division can do what they want. In the meantime, we are going to fight for either the Conor McGregor belt or I believe Nate Diaz's suggestion was the I get my ass beat and choked out and something's and it's like a two sentences long belt, whatever. Maybe there will be a made up title on the line or maybe, as you say, we'll just be out here waiting to see if the right guy wins for us to move forward with the UFC's plans. But it occurs to me, when you look at the difference between fight one and fight two between these guys, many years passed. And so they both showed up as just different fighters, different people. After, you know, the the way time will change a person. The way many fights will change a fighter. Now we turn right around and we're doing it really pretty close to the second fight. Just an immediate rematch, all because Conor McGregor asked for it, basically, and because Dustin Poirier said... Well, that seems like money in the bank. Let's go ahead and do that. And I have to wonder, when you do it that way, are we just going to end up doing the same thing we did last time? Well, no, because Conor McGregor's got it all figured out. Well, okay. Uh, It never ceases to amaze me that Conor McGregor does this after every loss. Like, loses to Nate Diaz, and he's like, oh, I figured out chokes now, and I got my cardio together, so that'll never happen again. Basically loses to Floyd Mayweather, says, oh, I, my, I got my cardio together now, uh, was new to the boxing game, got that all figured out, would love to do it again. Loses to Dustin Poirier, and he's like, oh, basically I didn't know about leg kicks, now I figured out how to check those, so got that squared away. Uh, what did he say on uh, Instagram this week? Adapt and fucking destroy, I think was his was okay. the, the comments that okay. he made. Does it after every fight, man, that whatever went wrong, whatever, however he lost, he was like... Got that all sewed up. Now I'm ready to go to go again. Obviously, Conor McGregor could win this thing, right? Like he's got the left hand. He could knock people out. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of coming around to the idea after seeing him compete at the heavier weights a couple times that maybe he doesn't have that immediate one strike knockout power uh, at at welterweight or at 155. So that's that's interesting. Like if if that can't happen, but look, we know the guy hits like a truck. He could win this fight. He's always got that chance. But the way that Dustin Poirier beat him in the second fight was pretty damn convincing. And you talk to coaches about uh, why are those calf kicks so effective? And the thing that they tell you is, well, they're hard to check. Like even guys who spend a long time trying to figure out how to check them don't always do it right because it's a fast strike. It gets to its target quicker than than where if you're throwing the low kick just to the to the quad. And so they're hard to they're hard to check. Conversely, they're also kind of hard to throw. But like if you've got that skill, which Dustin Poirier obviously does, then they can be a very brutal weapon because it's hard to defend against them. It's hard to imagine Conor McGregor adapting and fucking destroying to that particular skill set this quickly. Now, can he do it? Yeah, maybe. But if he does, like if Conor McGregor goes out against Dustin Poirier in the third fight and pitches an absolute gem and wins. I will be kind of astonished and really impressed. So uh, bring it on from the Irishman, as far as I'm concerned at this point. Yeah, I mean, 
on one hand, I could talk myself into believing that there is something to the argument that Conor McGregor, who had been dabbling in boxing, was maybe going to go back and, and was looking for another boxing match, maybe against Manny Pacquiao, and maybe he's just not living the MMA gym life quite the same way Dustin Poirier is, who has just been steadily working as an MMA fighter and being in the gym with his training partners and all that kind of stuff. And so when there are new advances in the game, or just refined versions of old advances in the game, and Dustin Poirier coming out of the you know American top team there in Florida is going to be right on top of them. Because he is in there with people who are... Like, this is all they do. This is how they make their living. And Conor McGregor is, he's in the gym sometime, but also sometimes he's in Monaco promoting water sports safety awareness stuff. Like, he's living a, a different kind of life, just day to day, than Dustin Poirier. Maybe not so ear to the ground on what's going on in MMA from moment to moment. You could see how something like that might happen. Then you get in there and you realize, like, oh, everybody's doing these calf kicks now. That's interesting because it hurts and you're, you're still doing it to me and I kind of wish you'd stop. And then the next thing you know, Dustin Poirier is putting it on you and, you and you lose. And yet to turn right around after that and be like, okay, let's run it back this summer. That doesn't give you a whole lot of time to change too much. Maybe, maybe it gives you time to think about that one specific technique. But I think we're also kidding ourselves if we say, hey, the calf kick was the only way Dustin Poirier won that fight. That is just right. kind of a piece of what he was doing. You're right, though, that like even in this fight, in the first round, Conor McGregor always has that Conor McGregor stuff that he can do. He, he popped Dustin Poirier with a couple sharp shots that looked like, okay, they, they, they definitely got his attention, made him wobble a little bit. But this version of Dustin Poirier is so much more experienced just as a veteran fighter that he didn't freak out, that he stayed calm and got through that stuff. The thing that I keep waiting to see Conor McGregor do is get back into a fight once it starts going against him. I think you could argue that you saw it in a little bit in that second Nate Diaz fight. That's where you saw some growth from that first Nate Diaz fight to the second Nate Diaz fight. And in fairness, there's another one where he turned around and wanted to do it pretty much right away after he lost the, the first one. And you could see that here was there were a couple moments in that fight where it looked like, oh, is he going to crumble again? Nate Diaz is putting that pressure on him, uh, not letting him breathe, you know, fighting him in close. And you could see like a look on his face where it seemed like it was not going the way he wanted it to. But in that fight, he was able to keep calm and collect himself and still battle back. It That's kind of what you, I guess, are hoping to see if he can show you that in a, in a Dustin Poirier fight. Because... The book on him so far has overwhelmingly been dangerous early on, but if you can get through that first round and then if you can really make him work, he gets a lot less dangerous after that point. And when the chips are down, he he might fold up more than come roaring back for a late comeback win. Yeah. I mean, from what we've seen throughout his career thus far, it isn't. It isn't exactly as though Conor McGregor has displayed an indomitable spirit, right? When things go south for that dude, uh, he has a tendency to to get beat. He doesn't come pull, crawling back, at least not in in that fight. And I'm like, look, man, I don't necessarily know that. Like, I didn't do an MMA training camp, and I wasn't ready for those calf kicks. Is really the awesome defense to the loss that Conor McGregor thinks it is, right? Like, we're not talking about the U.S. tax code here. It's not like a thing that if you drift away from it for a few years and changes are made that like, you know, there is some minuscule minutiae buried deep in the document that you might miss. Like 
you know, you got to watch like one fight from anyone from the American top team in the last three or four years to see like, oh, these dudes love to to kick you right in the calf. They that's one of their things, and it's it's pretty debilitating if they kick you with that a few times. And one of the dudes who likes to do it is the guy I'm about to fight, Dustin Poirier. Like, it's I don't it's it's not like a, it's not a checkmate moment after you lose the fight when you're like I just wasn't ready for the calf kick. Like what? I don't. I couldn't even tell you what that tells us about Conor McGregor's preparation, but nothing good, man. And like I said, sure, yeah, he could he could come better prepared for the second or the third fight, excuse me. But like, even a really really well prepared Conor McGregor, I think, is going to have his hands full with this version of Dustin Poirier. Like, can he make a better showing for himself? Sure, yeah, absolutely. He he absolutely could. Could Dustin Poirier go out there? and whip him in exactly the same way or whip him even faster, I also think that's a possibility. And clearly, you know, that's what Dustin Poirier is thinking is going to happen, and he's going to get that money. And then he's going to be the number one contender and roll in against the winner of Chucky Olives and Michael Chandler. But uh, it's not a fight that I'm not looking forward to. I will watch Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier 3, no problem. But, like, remember that in the wake of the first fight, we were both, or I'm, I'm sorry, the second fight. I keep forgetting that they fought that first time because it was so damn long ago. In the wake of like the most recent fight there, that'll I'll say that. That's a safe way to do it. Uh, we were both basically like, don't book an immediate rematch to this shit. Oh my God, we'll be so mad. And then they went, they went and did it. And like, I'm not any more excited about it now than I was then. Like, I'll watch it. It's going to be a, a decent fight between two talented guys, but I don't know shrug i guess at the end of the day do you remember when we were pitched the idea i believe on one of the live chats that when somebody comes in the doctor and the referee come in to check a guy after an eye poke or an illegal knee or something you need a third man in there and that should be the financial planner yeah if i am filling that role here in the dustin poirier camp my financial planner advice goes like this one we got to win this one we beat him the second time. That was great. But really, we need to beat Conor McGregor on July 10th. And then we immediately need to turn around and fight for that UFC lightweight title. Yeah. And and then financial independence, Dustin. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, this is a, like Dana White was saying that he thought that Dustin Poirier made the smart call here in choosing Conor McGregor fight over a title fight that he could have had that title fight and instead felt like this was the better move for him to make the most money. I mean, I hope he managed to negotiate for a point for, for points on the pay-per-view this time. We, what he said last time suggested that he was not getting points on the pay-per-view. It's not really red panty night unless you're getting a cut of all those buys that Conor McGregor brings in, but. If you can go out there and win that third fight against him, how are they going to deny you a title shot after that? And then that's when you should be making big, big money as Dustin Poirier. And, but you, you got to win this one first. Right. And you know who knows that? Almost certainly Dustin Poirier. Mm-hmm. And you know who doesn't, it seems, fuck around during his preparation times? Dustin Poirier, who moves away from his family to Florida to be in a room full of MMA killers to prepare for his every bout. So if you had to make a wager on who's going to come into this one the best prepared, I'm sure Conor McGregor will have a fire lit under him. I'm sure that he will take pains to be better prepared this time around than last time. But Dustin Poirier is always ready. 
and certainly understands the ramifications of this third fight. Uh, I feel like I have not, up until this very moment, reckoned with the possibilities of also having Nate Diaz on this same card, in this same arena, there potentially during media week, and all of the chaos that that could bring to the lead up and fight night of this thing. And, you know, he and McGregor will both be underdogs here. And if they both lose on that night, if things play out according to Chalk, you don't have a hard time getting me to believe that there could be some hijinks at the post-fight press conference that might get us reinterested in in a McGregor-Diaz storyline pretty quickly. Oh, you think you make it all the way to the post-fight press conference for hijinks? Well, I'm saying if they both lose, I mean, there's going to be hijinks all the way around. That's why I was saying I had not reckoned with the possibilities of having Nate Diaz around for this week. They're going to be throwing cans of Monster Energy drink at each other backstage at the weigh-ins. And again, if that happens, who does that benefit? (laughs) Probably not Conor McGregor. Yeah, well. All right. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Kevin Holland is in, Darren Till is out, Marvin Vittori is always mad and now has a new opponent. Ben, point blank, are you more or less interested in the main event of UFC on ABC2 with Kevin Holland in there instead of Darren Till? Maybe a little bit I am. I I just think stylistically it could be a really fun fight. I'm interested to see if Kevin Holland has made a brilliant decision or a very poor one. And I also felt like I didn't like what we were doing where we were, it seemed like, just trying to get Darren Till one win because Israel Adesanya wants to fight him for the middleweight title. And felt like that was sort of overlooking Marvin Vittori a little bit. Now, we end up with this situation where Marvin Vittori is going to be extremely angry and go in there against a guy who likes to talk to you to try to get you angry. Ho, ho, ho. I feel like we could have some fun with that one, Chad. Yeah, it seems like it might make... uh for a fun night of television fighting. It's, but you know what Kevin Holland is going to do. It seems like the thing Kevin Holland does could just enrage Marvin Vittori because we yeah. talked about uh, during the power hour last week that Marvin Vittori's default setting is anger. Mm-hmm. He comes out the factory. If you buy a Marvin Vittori from the store, it shows up at your house already bad. Yeah. And the thing that Kevin Holland does constantly talking during his fights and before the fight, I assume is, is, maybe either going to bring the best or the absolute worst out of Marvin Vittori. So I'm excited to see this one, man. You got your six-fight main card on network television. You're going to kick things off in the curtain jerker uh, with Mike Perry versus Daniel Rodriguez, which is as clear a a sign as any that the UFC is just going to pretend like all of this super ugly Mike Perry shit that's been going on for like a year and a half just didn't happen. <laughs> Throw that dude on ABC. No problemo. Put him on the network. Uh First things first, also going to point out Hunter Azure, Montana, Montana's own, the local guy on the prelims for this thing. So, you know, kind of a lot for us to look forward to, if nothing else. Yeah, although somebody was asking me about it, is this fight uh, for Holland 
as tough, less tough, more tough than the Derek Brunson one. In a lot of ways, man, I think that it is a tougher fight for him. Yeah. Just because Marvin Vittori is a dangerous dude who could finish you. And he doesn't usually have that same, I'm going to commit all the way to the takedown from moment one and get you down there. But if you do end up on the ground with that guy, he's a risk to submit you when you get down there. Especially if you don't have the jiu-jitsu game once you're there. Uh, but also, like, you look at Marvin Vittori, who was preparing for a tall, rangy striker on this date. You know, like, that's what he's been doing. And then he loses Darren Till and then gets a different tall, rangy striker on this date, except this guy just took the fight. And after a loss, you know, maybe wasn't immediately back in the gym. Maybe he's not in the absolute best of shape and definitely didn't have a full camp to train and prepare and, and, and tailor a plan for this fight. So you got to feel like that's another advantage in Marvin Vittori's corner. And I, the thing that we talked about a little bit on the power hour, if you're Kevin Holland, that you should consider a little bit, you want to be the guy who says, yes, you want to get that bad taste out of your mouth after a loss. You probably want to get, you know, you didn't get a win bonus for your last fight. So you, you probably want to get that money too. But also if you're not careful, you get in there with two tough guys and Derek Bronson and Marvin Vittori, you could take that five-fight winning streak from 2020 and really quickly, in the span of less than a month, turn it into a two-fight losing streak. Like, that's a real, very plausible risk to what Kevin Holland is trying to do here. Yeah, and at the same time, like you mentioned, you can totally understand, though, why Kevin Holland would want to do it. Like, he kind of goes from being the toast of the UFC, the one guy Dana White can pull out of his back pocket and mention as a potential up-and-coming star when Stephen A. Smith asks him about it was Kevin Holland. And he gets beat by Derek Brunson, doesn't get too many good reviews about his performance in that fight because we all just decided during it that we actually don't like it when he talks during his fights. Uh, so you can understand why he would want to come right back out and get back after it. And it's possible that, like, uh, he just had, like, he knows that it's a risk. I'm sure he knows it's a risk, but, like, that he just probably can't stand to sit there still and let that feeling of the loss wash over him. That he feels like he has to make a move. He has to do something, uh, which is a feeling that I think a lot of us can can empathize with when things are going poorly. But, yeah, it might lead you to make some some decisions that aren't, strictly speaking, the smartest quote unquote but like i don't know man like if he beats marvin vittori then he's back in a big way and i'm sure that that's that's the way kevin holland is thinking about it now this also though we're on uh espn and espn plus for the prelims but then we switch over to abc uh and espn plus for the main card main card here going down 1 p.m in the one true yeah. time zone here, 3 p.m. Eastern. Prelims starting at 12 p.m. Eastern. It's 10 a.m. here in the one true time zone. Is this uh, just long enough since the last time we did this that you get excited for a little bit of Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning MMA? Yeah, I'll check it out. Uh, as long as it's not directly opposite the college football game I'm going to watch. See, here you go. There you and are. And we opened the show with it. The mighty University of Montana taking on Central Washington. I know where my eyeballs are going to be. So you're there saying... No, they didn't play any football last last fall, Ben. I'm jonesing. <laughs> jonesing for my fix. I got to get it. I got to get my fix. Nina and Saroff and, and Mackenzie Dern going to be out here fighting, and Chad's going to be like, wait, hold on. It's third down over here in the FCS. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to be... Uh, 
I'm going to be like that Dave Chappelle gif being like, y'all got any more of that FCS football? That's what I'm going to be doing. We buried the lead here a little bit, though, folks. This is the first fight uh, night of the Venom deal. Okay, yeah. Which we talked about, again, last Friday on the Power Hour. We got some information about the payouts, but we still haven't seen what the people are going to be wearing. Uh, in the cage, I saw uh, our guy Trent Rinesmith on Twitter this week was, was basically like, what are the new fight kits going to look like? And I thought to myself, are we even doing fight kits? Like, is there going to be like a, a full dress UFC kind of uniform jumpsuit track gear kind of thing that you wear out to the cage? Or are we just totally shit canning that whole idea? And basically, you're going to pick some Venom shorts off the website and that's that's what you got to wear. Well, you remember I was on the website last week when we were talking about this. They had a little ticker. Now it says UFC Venom era starts in 16 hours. So basically tomorrow. Is that's when right. I think we're going to unveil that. We're going to call it, say, Tuesday okay. is the start of fight week. And that's when we're going to find out something more, I would assume, about what's going on with the UFC Venom era. I'm, but I'm still telling you, if you go over and you look at in the category of men's training shorts and you scroll all the way down to where you see that werewolf bad boy, I mean, dude. Well, you talked about the, the list of people you don't want to fight. A guy in some werewolf shorts... Mm-mm. That would be very intimidating. Yeah. That would be very intimidating. I don't want to fight that guy. You're right about that. You're Werewolf right about that. just oh. right there on the crotch. That's scary for a lot of reasons. We, we will all be looking forward to see what the apparel looks like this week and on into Saturday. Let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week, Ben. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff this week? Well, Chad, we didn't even mention it, but do you know that's going down on Wednesday? Demetrius Johnson going to get out there for the first one event on TNT and fight for that one flyweight title. Wow, it's a big week in MMA. Yeah, that's right. Big week on TV for the people here in the States. Wednesday night, the the main card, I believe, only has a couple fights on it. Uh, it says, it's according to what I see on the internet here, it's set to begin at 10 p.m. Eastern, maybe a little bit late for your uh, East Coast crowd on a, on a weeknight, but better than middle of the night. I chance to see Demetrius Johnson go out there and do his thing uh, against champion Adriano, Adriano Moraes. Uh, a, a considerable, considerable betting favorite here for uh, Demetrius Johnson going in there. I mean, he is, after all, Demetrius Johnson, the, so you can, I guess, understand that. Chad, though, I'm looking at some betting odds. Some people have him as high as a 10-to-1 favorite to go in here, which... I'm just saying, we had this event, it's an opportunity for one to get out there on TNT, show some stuff. I was under the impression that every living man, woman, and child was already watching one events every single time that they're on, but this would seem to expand the reach somehow even beyond that. Houseplants are going to be watching it now that it's on TNT. But when you roll in here as Beatrice Johnson as a 10 to 1 favorite, are you kind of going like, hey guys, wait, could we just like, could we ease up on that a little bit? Because now you're going to make it seem like if I do win the belt, that it was no big deal and that uh, it was a, it was a gimme anyway and just a, a two foot putt. And if I don't win it, then it's a colossal upset and a huge collapse. Yeah, I'm just saying, like let's let Demetrius Johnson go in there and just maybe ease up on the the, the pressure a little bit. And just let him enjoy this fight on TNT in front of I believe 20 billion people. Rough estimate, just saying. Rough, 
rough estimate. Uh, ben, we're getting closer and closer by the day, just a couple weeks out now from Ben Askren against uh, Greg Paul. Thank you for big, that reminder. Yeah. In their big boxing match over on the Trillers. Uh, Faraz Zahabi, noted MMA trainer, was talking about how he envisions this fight going over there on his uh, YouTube channel. He thinks he thinks uh, Ben Askren is going to win. He says, uh, you know, basically he says Ben Askren's been working on his striking for, for 10, 15 years. He's been uh, in the gym with, with the best competitors. He's been punched in the face. He's got a great chin. Uh, he doesn't think that Slick Willie Paul will have anything for him. But here's the quote that I, that I wanted to highlight here. He'll throw him on the floor, ragdoll him. Maybe he even picks up and slams Jake Paul once or twice. It would not surprise me. Ben Askren probably doesn't have a clue, or probably, Ben Askren probably doesn't have a clause where he gets disqualified, where if he gets disqualified, he doesn't get paid. In my opinion, Ben Askren doesn't care if he gets disqualified. He's going to pull on his head, step on his feet, shove him so he's off balance, and it's going to be a mauling. He's going to pick and poke, stick and move, and stay away. Once they lock up, I guarantee you, Jake's battery is going to start to drain. <laughs> Throw him on the floor, ragdoll him. All I'm saying this week, Ben, don't threaten me with a good time, Faraz Zahabi. <laughs> Just saying. I, I mean, kind of sounds like what Faraz Zahabi is envisioning is the charity fight that Rocky and Thunderlips, the ultimate male, have. Yeah. At the start of, uh, is it Rocky 3? Like... I think that's what he's uh, that's what he's picturing. Not so I mean, much a boxing it, match. If it goes that way, and and uh, Ben Askren goes out there and, uh, and takes down Theodore Paul over and over again in their fight until he gets disqualified, won't we all think that's kind of awesome, though? <laughs> like, honestly, won't uh, we? I know you will. I will. Th- that's I definitely right in your will. wheelhouse. Yeah, it is. It is. Where Dundasso meets wrestling meets a YouTuber getting pushed around. Yeah. I'm excited for this now. All right. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. Uh, remember, we'll be over at patreon.com slash co-main event all week with the live chat and the movie club and the power hour. You don't want to miss it. We have tons of fun over there. So come on and join the team. Patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. See, the thing you didn't consider, though, is I can I can remember another time when somebody went out there with a plan to ragdoll and roughneck a fighter of destiny, yeah. and it didn't go so well. Yeah. You are out here about to uh, compare mm-hmm. Big Jim Paul with uh, Anderson Silva, who would seem. Yep. Here, just as we close the show. Apples to apples comparison, as far as I'm concerned. No, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. I'm just... You know, finally someone has the guts to say it. I feel like Slick Willie Paul is the one you should stick with, honestly. I do have a hard time thinking of all these different names. Yes. <laughs>